0: Welcome to the
1: community-supported Best of the Left podcast, with clips today from The Sam Cedar Show, The Young Turks, Countdown with Keith Olbermann, and Democracy Now! Financial Times writes, North Korea's probable test of nuclear weapons on Monday has triggered the second nuclear crisis in 13 years on the uh, Korean Peninsula. In 1993, North Korea announced it would pull out of the nuclear non-proliferation treaty, leaving it free to divert nuclear material from its energy reactors to make a nuclear weapon and setting off a round of crisis diplomacy led by the Clinton administration. The result was the so-called agreed framework, which in return for supplies of fuel oil to North Korea, froze most aspects of Pyongyang's nuclear weapons program for the rest of the decade. The agreed framework was, in effect, consigned to history when the Bush administration came to power in 2001. The new administration argued that although the road to plutonium-based nuclear bomb had been frozen, the North Koreans were cheating by attempting to develop a uranium-based bomb that was not explicitly addressed by the agreement. That five years later, North Korea has tested a nuclear weapon will be wildly interpreted as a sign of the failure of the tougher approach favored by the bush team and, and frankly there were multiple failures over the past six years by the bush administration <clears throat> which has led to uh, north korea uh, certainly one of the, the the least stable regimes in the world uh... having this material <clears throat> and the danger here is less that they're able to uh, send a nuclear weapon Uh, via a missile to the United States the danger here is is that you have this incredibly poor country who now has a a nuclear weapon we know that they uh, they got a lot of this material or the know-how from the AQ Khan network uh, coming out of Pakistan and if you recall AQ Khan is he in prison Uh, do we have this guy uh, somewhere in Guantanamo no he sits in a villa somewhere in Pakistan Free to live his life. I don't. I think he could be under house arrest, supposedly in Pakistan. One wonders how big that house is. But the danger here is that uh, this uh, rogue nation may, in fact, uh, sell it to the highest bidder, because we have basically shut down their ability to raise any funds. I mean, we have painted them into a corner, and by doing so, we have painted ourselves into a corner. Josh Marshall uh, continues uh, to go on to, as he speaks of uh, of George Bush's bluff in two thousand two, which the BBC reported on at the time. Bush came in there and said, uh, "You know, you're going to remember now." George Bush is trying to uh, build up the the wherewithal for the Americans to invade and occupy Iraq. And in uh, in 2002, uh, BBC reports, the U.S. government has announced that it will release $95 million to North Korea as part of an agreement to replace the Stalinist country's own nuclear program, which the U.S. suspected was being misused. In releasing the funding, President George W. Bush waived the framework's requirement. This is the 1994 agreed framework. That North Korea allow inspectors to ensure that it has not hidden away any weapons grade plutonium from the original reactors. Bush at the time argued the decision was, quote, vital to national security interests of the United States. So apparently, Bush's plan all along was to allow for a nuclear weaponized North Korea. Well, congratulations, President Bush. You have succeeded in your failed agenda once more.
2: Turks is uh, uh... from the bbc is greg palace he's also the author of the new york times bestseller armed madhouse dispatches from the front lines of the class war uh... but uh... greg joins us now to talk about really a fascinating uh... nugget of news uh... regarding kim jong-il's uh... regarding kim jong-il and north korea's a uh, successful, or we don't know if it was successful, but test uh, of a nuclear weapon uh, this week.
3: Greg, welcome back to the Young Turks. Hey, glad to be with you. All right, good to have you here. So let's, uh, you, the title of your piece here that uh, I saw on the internets is How George Bush Gave Crazy Kim the Bomb. Yep. George Bush couldn't have given Kim Jong-il the bomb. Greg, well, I mean, you're a BBC reporter. What's going on,
4: there? <laughs> He did everything but gift wrap it. Um, the First of all, do you think that, that Crazy Kim... You know, who's like Charles Manson in a leisure suit? There uh, could have come up with the bomb himself. Has the ability uh, within North Korea to develop a bomb? No, they had to buy it. They bought basically a, a, fi- a do-it-yourself bomb-making kit from where? They got it from Pakistan. Hmm. Uh, and they bought it from Pakistan. From AQ Khan. A guy named AQ Khan. Dr. Khan is the Dr. Strangelove of, um, of Pakistan. Now, what, uh, where does George fit into this? Yeah. Well, the only way that Pakistan could get the bomb and their crazy dictator, uh, um, Musharraf, um, at, is that the, the Saudis gave them the money. Now, um, now this is where it gets uh, interesting because in 2001, two months after the attacks on the World Trade Center, um, in BBC London, we received a call from very unhappy agents of the uh, of the intelligence agencies, CIA, DIA, etc. We were able to confirm this with documents that uh, they were given a directive to back off investigating Con Laboratories uh they were uh, they were actually hot on the trail of dr khan and his flea market and fissionable materials there uh our guys um, and they were working on this under bill clinton uh who was a bit concerned about this guy selling he was not only selling to north korea remember he was selling to libya yeah now our our big buddy but at the time uh, not so
3: greg uh, i want to stop you for a second mm-hmm. and establish the timeline here mm-hmm. uh, and we're talking to greg palestei uh, as a reporter for bbc mm-hmm. and so when does AQCon uh, start to... Venture outside of Pakistan because he built the bomb for Pakistan, and we got that, and that's against India. You know, to prepare, etc The world had kind of gotten used to that, and he becomes a legend in Pakistan because of that. But when does he start to say, "Hey, you know what? Maybe I should start to sell this to Libya or North Korea"?
4: Well, actually, it may have begun during. It was, we know that it began while Clinton was president, but Clinton thought it was a kind of a bad idea.
5: Yeah, well, <laughs> be, I you know,
4: to be kind of selling nukes. I mean, he wasn't. About, he was selling plans. He was selling parts. Mm-hmm. uh and um and basically when bush came in the agents were told to back off and they were told to back off not because the bush administration wanted kim to have a bomb it's just that if you can't do an investigation unless you follow the money and the money followed back to Saudi Arabia and once you and we were told again and again you cannot look at Saudi Arabia, you cannot go into the question of them funding the berserkers and killers. See, this is part of our investigation of 9 one and the funding right. of berserkers by Saudi Arabian Ooh. Uh, by the Saudi Arabian royal family through through charity fronts.
5: We're talking
2: so that, to hang on, Greg. Let me ask you something here. Greg Palace is an investigative reporter. Uh, does a lot of reporting for the BBC. Greg, so when when the FBI, when the when the CIA, when all the when intelligence guys get the word to back off, are they being told to back off investigating Kim? Or are they being told back off investigating anything that involves tracking Saudi money?
4: Bingo. The second they were told you can't look at the Saudis, but they say how it's the old follow the money rule. You can't look at Pakistan's bomb sales without following the entire money trail. Because right. also you want to see if they're giving it to uh, to the crazies, uh, not only to Kim and not only to Gaddafi. If you're going to give it to berserkers like that, then of course you might be putting them out. God knows where else uh, the stuff may have ended up, including, by the way, always a chance of, of the, the, a dirty back- bomb to al-Qaeda. Sure. So, you know, so the problem was that, you, needless to say, you had agents who were just... Shrieking, livid about this, that they were told you can't go there. As soon as, by the way, it was as soon as the Bush administration came into office that the uh, that the agents had the uh, that uh, that the agents were were cut off. I mean, and I have to tell you that we didn't have a single agent tell us that they could have caught uh, the, the you know Al Qaeda before 9/11 if um, you know if we'd eliminated the Constitution, had a homeland. Sec- uh, security department or fatherland security bureaucracy it was purely uh, they said if the bush administration had simply gotten their foot off our necks we might have been able to find something i mean this is part of also the same uh you know we were investigating the uh, the directives spiking the investigation of the bin laden family in the u.s. before
2: Look, september 11th greg you know, let's establish say, let's try and read the minds then of the president maybe mm-hmm. this is the most obvious question in the world but mm-hmm. Why? What is the concern about protecting that sort of that investigative link in the Saudi month?
4: Well, if you could think of of the White House as kind of the outhouse of the House of Saud, then then we get you know this is this is the the Bush family and the Saudi uh, royals royals have been locked up financially and politically for a very very long time, uh, and in fact you know right now you have um, uh, the Saudi kingdom's lawyer is a guy named james baker who is rewriting our iraq policy has his office right in 1600 pennsylvania avenue the lawyer for the bush family and the republican party i mean they they they're locked together
2: but let me let me greg now am i correct in understanding that the 9-11 commission report uh found that well enough much of of say osama bin laden's financing not necessarily aq Khan, which they of course didn't investigate but bin laden's financing much of it came from saudi arabia but it didn't come specifically from the government or from the royal family
4: well no they uh, let's do two different things. You'd, uh, there's no difference between a royal family and a government when you have a dictatorship. We call it a monarchy, but those, that means it's just uh, dictators in bathrobes and crowns. Um, it did come. That was remember that there are 28 pages redacted from the uh, from the original congressional report. That was about the Saudi funding, and that all goes back to the royal family. Uh, so it is the royal family involved. Now, one, in fact, indeed, one of the things that we uncovered at BBC. Was that Bill Clinton sent the National Security Advisor Sandy Berger twice to Saudi Arabia to say, "Would you stop giving money to the guys who are trying to kill us?" And those delegations, that pressure on the Saudis to let up, um, died as soon as as, um, as Bush came to office. In fact, Robert Oakley, the transition advisor to Bush when he came in, said, "We have no." This is a quote: "We have no problem." With Bill Clinton's foreign policy, except his fixation on getting Osama bin Laden. That goes back once again to running the Saudi protection racket.
3: All right, let's and talk racket. about this a little bit more, Greg, and we're talking to Greg Palasz, He's not only a reporter for BBC, but also author of New York Times bestseller, Armed Madhouse Dispatches from the Front Lines of the Class War." Greg, okay, now one part of it is indisputable, so because the AQCon, we find out you know, you're, the people who talked to you in 2002 and 2003 told you he was doing this. At the time, there was an absolute confirmation. Later, uh, uh, Muammar Gaddafi gave himself up, basically, gave up his nuclear program, and when he did, he said, yeah, by the the way A.Q. Khan sold me this stuff, so we found out what the uh, CIA and FBI guys were telling you was clearly true. Uh, yeah, well,
5: in
4: fact, we learned this stuff again in 2001, and our president, remember, in 2001, we not only knew, but we actually reported on the air and BBC, and I've got it in our madhouse, uh, that Khan was selling off, was trying to sell off pieces of the bomb,
5: mm-hmm.
4: and that agents were stopped from looking at this. And that George Bush had stopped them. In 2004, George Bush gave a press conference after uh, Gaddafi let the cat out of the bag, as you say, about Pakistan's bomb sales. Our president got up at the press conference and said that he was stunned and shocked to find out that Dr. Khan in Pakistan were selling bombs. Well, of course you were shocked, Mr. Bush, after you tell your agents not to look. They didn't see it. Well, what's you, I mean,
3: Greg, you think that uh, the White House is saying, hey, listen, don't look into the Saudis, even though it's clear that the money's coming. I mean, everybody's known that the money's coming from Saudi Arabia for a long time. The whole Wahhabi uh, school that uh, they have in Saudi Arabia for, you know, the radical money, whether it's Al Qaeda money, AQ Khan money, that's not a surprise to anybody. So you're saying the Bush White House on purpose is willing to look uh, the other way from the people who might be selling weapons of mass destruction throughout the world to our enemies, based on what? Because they have money interests, oil interests with Saudi Arabia? Because that exactly seems a little under- fact, unbelievable.
4: Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's what happens. The, that's ex- in fact, when, we, uh, when BBC, we went to the uh, agency chiefs, and we usually get the denial, like, or oh, we can't comment on this, or it's a bunch of baloney, or something like that. Instead, I got one of the most chilling responses we've ever gotten, when we said, well, what about this back-off directive? And the response was, there's certain things the public ought not to know. Who said that? And that was from the FBI the mm-hmm. uh, spokesman.
3: So what is it that we're not supposed to know? I mean, what you're it? not
4: supposed to know Remember when our president got out in 2004 and said he was stunned and shocked at a press conference that that Pakistan was selling the bomb to Libya and North Korea? I mean, you do have to understand that he'd gone from hiding the truth to absolute outright prevarication. I mean, uh, this, but that I'm not surprised by at all.
3: Hmm? I'm not surprised by that at all, Greg. So, but tell yeah. me what, what we're not supposed to know.
4: What we're not supposed to know is: see, you can't once you start these investigations. You can't control where they go, so you have to kill them off. It's not like George necessarily wanted Kim to have the bomb, but don't forget, he's not exactly unhappy. Okay, right now there's a little problem with the polls, but let's not forget the, the, the wider desire. Kim's um, shooting off his, his Popkin, uh nuke. Is now leading to the nuclearization, certainly the rearmament of Japan, a long sought goal of this administration. This administration has been pushing and pushing and pushing Japan to militarize, to offset China. And, uh, they, he's got it. So it's mission accomplished. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I mean, I, mean I
3: hear you. I, you know, there's, that there's that a, is... as,
4: as uh, Henry the K said, there's a politique, you know, in, in this stuff. Um, you know, uh, well,
3: let me ask you a last question, yeah. Greg. I hear you on all that. Do you think that the mainstream media in America is completely ignoring the Saudi angle? I mean, I look I don't know if I, what you say about AQ program is clear. I I, yeah. I get that and that's Uh, And and it doesn't mean that Bush, like you said in the beginning, wanted Kim Jong-il to have the bomb, but he did investigate things that led to the bomb getting out from Pakistan. Uh, I understand all that, and I don't really find that in dispute. But uh, the things that you say about Saudi Arabia, I'm not absolutely convinced about, but I think merit further investigation. Is there anybody in the mainstream press in America asking the questions about Saudi Arabia? Because clearly, at the very least, money is coming out of there into very illicit causes throughout the uh, the world.
4: Well, in fact, I mean... Finally, the problem was back in 2001, you could not get the U.S. Uh, press to even touch. It was like the third rail. You couldn't get them to touch the issue of Saudi financing of terror. And, in fact, the only time that it's really kind of come out is when the Saudis themselves found that, the, that their snake, Al-Qaeda, bit them. Uh, you know, we, we uh, hit one of the uh, groups that was a bin Laden family front that was called by the FBI suspected terrorist organization, they weren't allowed, they couldn't be touched before September 11th, and even after September 11th, there was no action. The, this operation was raided the week that the Saudi, that Saudi Arabia itself was hit in 2003 and the oil compounds at uh, Riyadh were hit by Al-Qaeda. Suddenly, our FBI went into action in the U.S. In so other words, you blow up the World Trade Center and it's a photo op for Republicans and you blow up, uh, uh, Saudi oil installations, and now you're at war.
2: Okay, Greg, here's what I think a lot of people have. Obviously, the Saudi royal family is gigantic. Right, sixteen thousand princes. Sixteen thousand yeah. princes. So it is not as if when we say the Saudi royal family, that, that mm-hmm. King Abdullah or Prince Bandar is giving money to A.Q. Khan or Osama bin Laden or anything like that. Yeah, but what but, they do is that they. Uh, yes, well, let is, me yes. let me ask that Let, let me because uh, uh, you can clearly explain it, but I want to tell, be able in less than a minute, be able to tell people why don't, why doesn't uh, King Abdullah say to whatever prince is given this money away or whatever thousand princes are giving this money away, why can't they stop it, presuming that they want to? And I think that might be a safe presumption Actually. that they don't really want it, but they can't stop it. Why not?
4: Two re- a couple reasons. One, they are beginning to stop it now because, like I say, their snake is biting their hand. Number two, it may be a large family, but in Saudi Arabia, it's not like it is. there's uh, any lack of discipline, okay? They cut off your heads, they cut off your hands, okay? They, they, there is no question, as Bill Clinton demanded these guys, if they wanted to cut off the money flow, they could. And now they are, by the way, finally. Man. And so it does make it, we see it now, that they are being hit by it. And one of the reasons, by the way, they were being hit, uh, that they were giving money uh, to these guys, was kind of a protection racket. Go here's money. Go and play in uh, in Asia, in Afghanistan, in Uzbekistan, and uh, leave us alone. Don't blow up our. There was kind of a of a threat by Osama, basically to blow up uh, the yachts and the rest of the Saudis' billionaires and and attack Saudi Arabia if they weren't paid off, and that was part of it. A lot of it was a kind of a payoff operation right. as opposed to a support
5: operation.
3: I hear you. All right, well, Greg, a lot of interesting information there. Greg Palace from uh, BBC. The uh, book is Our Madhouse Dispatches from the Front Lines of the Class 4. You can find out a lot more, I believe, at gregpalace.com. Thank you so much for joining us on The Young Turks. We appreciate Good
4: it. Good fun. Thanks,
3: Greg. Right. Thanks, Greg.
6: Something like calling somebody part of an axis of evil to get them acting like part of an axis of evil third story in the countdown tonight, North Korea, the first member of the Axis of Evil to hold simultaneous membership in the Nuclear Club. North Korea's first nuclear test yesterday, coming six years after President Bush took office and decided to drop the Clinton administration policy of engagement with the government of Kim Jong-il. A policy that, as reported three years ago by the British newspaper The Guardian, and also by Fortune magazine, included the sale of two nuclear reactors made by a European company called ABB in 2000. ABB's board of directors throughout the 90s and through 2000 included one Donald Rumsfeld. In the six years since then, Mr. Bush has refused to engage directly with North Korea, instead trusting communist China to safeguard America's vital interests. China, one of the few countries in regular contact with North Korea, it has consistently failed to dampen the nuclear ambitions of the North Korean dictator. Today, Mr. Bush showed no sign of recognizing that his signature policy of alienating and antagonizing North Korea has somehow failed to produce settlement. The
5: United States condemns this provocative act. Once again, North Korea has defied the will of the international community, and the international community will respond.
6: The Clinton administration had a North Korea policy coordinator as a special advisor to the president from 1997 until the end of Mr. Clinton's term. That was Ambassador Wendy Sherman. Ambassador Sherman joins us now. Many thanks for your time tonight.
7: Good to be with you, Keith.
6: if self-fulfilling prophecy might be too strong a term for this is the sense of shock and outrage on this administration's part also inappropriate how could anybody not have seen this coming
7: well i quite agree with you the administration should have seen this coming in fact when president bush took office uh, we were in the middle of a very intense negotiation to stop the development of missiles uh... in north korea and missiles are important because they deliver nuclear weapons and the Bush administration decided not to pick up the cards we've left on the table even though Colin Powell at the time thought they were pretty good he got overruled by the President of the United States as we know when he sent him out uh, in the middle of a press conference to say nope we're not going to follow Clinton anything but Clinton and as a result of that We now have a 400% increase in the amount of plutonium and the number of nuclear weapons that North Korea has under the Bush administration policy.
6: In uh, Bob Woodward's State of Denial, the candidate George Bush is quoted as asking uh, the Arabian Prince Bandar in June of 2000, why should I care about North Korea? Why did he not care? And other than the obvious uh, change of the world here today, why should we care now?
7: It's very hard for Americans to imagine they should be worried about North Korea. Most people don't know where it is. Uh, it's led by a rather strange uh, leader that people don't understand. There's no oil. There appears to be no immediate impact on people's lives. But if North Korea has nuclear weapons, several things and they do, several things are going to happen there may be a nuclear arms race on the korean peninsula that means japan may decide it needs nuclear weapons might be that south korea decides they need nuclear weapons i don't think the world needs more nuclear weapons and more importantly north korea now that it has four six eight ten nuclear weapons can test them but they can also sell them they may also not be secure enough and terrorists might get hold of them or the fissile material for those nuclear weapons and i think we'd all agree there's nothing more terrifying for americans than terrorists with their hands on a nuclear weapon
6: um, two years ago, I, I let me play this, this clip here. Mr. Bush rejected uh, his opponent's advocacy of direct. US. talks with North Korea.
5: We began a new dialogue with North Korea, one that included not only the United States but now China, and China's got a lot of influence over North Korea. in some ways more than we do. As well, we included uh, South Korea, Japan, and Russia. So now there are five voices speaking to Kim Jong-il, not just one. And so if Kim Jong-il decides again to not honor an agreement, he's not only uh, doing injustice to America, he would be doing injustice to China as well. And I think this will work. It's not going to work if we open up a dialogue with Kim Jong-il. So
6: two years after I think this will work, uh, North Korea has tested its first nuclear device. What happened and what conceivably positive could happen next?
7: Well, there's no doubt that it's good to have many voices, as we did during the Clinton administration, telling North Korea this isn't the way to go. Uh, But North Korea, at the end of the day, wants regime survival, and they think the only country that can guarantee that is the last remaining superpower, the United States. And so they want direct engagement with North Korea uh, and the United States. And although ultimately President Bush did finally break down and allow a very able negotiator, Chris Hill, to have a direct conversation in the middle of those six-party talks, Ambassador Hill had nothing in his pocket and you cannot negotiate with nothing. Uh, now we're in a very difficult place because we have gone very deep in the hole and that isn't just those nuclear weapons and that blast today. Uh, it is about how we get out of this and after the condemnations and after the sanctions, all of which are necessary because North Korea has to know there are consequences, Ultimately, we have to get back to talks and somewhere in there, somehow, there have to be direct talks with the United States.
6: Is a blockade feasible or that would just make it worse?
7: I think that that is one of the sanctions that's going to be in front of the Security Council. Uh, The blockade is not going to stop North Korea uh, from transferring nuclear weapons if it decides it wants to. Plutonium can be the size of an orange. You can put it in a suitcase and take it across the border. You don't need a ship coming out of a port to do that. Uh, So although the uh, proliferation security initiative, as the Bush administration policy is called, is a useful technique, it's not going to stop North Korea from having its nuclear weapons and transferring some of that technology if they want to.
1: Monthly uh, tells us on January 10th, 2003, North Korea withdrew from the NPT. This is the uh, Nuclear non proliferation Treaty. However, they also said they would reverse their actions and retract their declarations if the United States re- resumed its obligations under the agreed framework and signed a non-aggression pledge. Bush administration would have none of it. Of course, you got to remember, January 10th, 2003, this is in the run-up. To the Iraq war. Uh, the Bush administration wasn't prepared really to do anything with North Korea. They leveled a couple of empty threats but never followed through on any of them. What explains Bush's inaction before North Korea crossed the red line and its weak response afterwards? Historians will surely debate that question for decades. Part of the answer probably lies in the administration's all consuming focus on Iraq. In January, a senior administration told the New York Times, President Bush does not want to distract international attention from Iraq. That's what we call in radio a twofer, folks. Screwing up our security in terms of North Korea to lead us into a debacle that is Iraq. Meanwhile, uh, Condi Rice seeking to tamp down any desire on the part of South Korea or Japan now to engage in a nuclear arms race with North Korea. As uh, head over to the region, the United States is concerned that Japan and South Korea may want to develop their own nuclear weapon programs to counter the threat from North Korea. Part of Rice's assignment on this week's hastily arranged trip to China, Russia, Japan, and South Korea is to lessen that temptation by reaffirming the U.S. intention to defend two nations most at risk. Speaking to reporters Tuesday en route to Japan, Rice said North Korea's recent underground nuclear test does carry with it the potential for instability. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. That's why it's extremely important to go out and to affirm and affirm strongly U.S. defense commitments to Japan and South Korea. The U.S. has a long-standing pledge to use its own nuclear arsenal to defend its friends. Well, how does that work? How does that work? We tell Japan that... It, Listen, if uh, the North Koreans blow you up, uh, we'll blow them up. In addition to settling nerves among allies, Rice's Asia trip is meant to reinforce pressure on South Korea, and especially China, to enforce economic sanctions. Those include what the United States describes as an aggressive inspection and interdiction program that stops short of a full blockade of North Korean trade. However, China's UN ambassador said Tuesday that China would implement the resolution to the degree of inspections Not intradiction. Inspection is different than intradiction and interception. I think different countries will do it different ways. In other words, folks, China's not on board with the Bush administration policy here. And what, what leverage do we have now with China? Absolutely zilch. They own half of our economy, folks, at least. Because they own all the notes for all the money we've had to borrow for these enormous tax cuts to the wealthy. So there you have George Bush's uh, domestic policy of mortgaging our kids' future to give tax breaks to the wealthiest amongst us, and now it also mortgages our security because we can't provide any leverage to China to actually enforce this, uh, this U.N. resolution. And this policy is a total failure, and frankly, I don't know how you back up from this other than to go directly to North Korea, sit down and say, look, we're willing to sign a non-aggression pact. We have no interest in attacking you. We will begin to uh, provide economic incentives for you to lock this stuff back up, period. There is no other solution. I don't think the Bush administration is capable of uh, making this uh, turn. Every tooth in your hand. Oh, 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 sweetness, sweetness
4: I was only joking When I said by rights You should be blood
0: North Korea says it's carried out its first ever test of a nuclear weapon, sparking a wave of condemnation from the international community. The apparent test was conducted at 10.36 a.m. Monday morning, Korea time. A senior U.S. official said China was given a 20-minute warning ahead of the test and in turn told the United States, Japan and South Korea about getting the advance notice. The U.S. Geological Survey said it detected a tremor of 4.2 magnitude on the Korean peninsula. Minutes later, North Korea's official Korean Central News Agency declared the underground test a triumph and had not resulted in any leak of radiation. The agency called it, quote, a historical event that has brought our military and our people huge joy, unquote. The move drew strong international condemnation. The U.S. said the reported test is a provocative act. China expressed its resolute opposition to the test and said it defied the universal opposition of international society. Japan's prime minister called the claim test unpardonable and said the region was entering a new dangerous nuclear age. South Korea's military ordered the army to step up a state of alert. The U.N. Security Council urged North Korea last week not to carry out a test warning of unspecified consequences if it did. Pyongyang pulled out of the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty in 2003 and has refused for a year to attend talks aimed at ending its nuclear ambitions. Today's test appeared linked to the ninth anniversary of North Korean leader Kim Jong-il's appointment as head of the Korean Workers' Party. And it came just one day before South Korean Foreign Minister Ban Ki-moon will face a vote on his bid to become the next Secretary General of the United Nations. Tim Shorock is an independent journalist who's covered U.S.-Korean relations for decades. He joins me on the phone from his home in Tennessee. Welcome to Democracy Now! Tim. Thank you. Can you talk about the significance of this reported test?
5: Well, this is a monumental event for Korea, for the United States, for all the countries in that region of the world. But it's something that I don't think anyone is surprised at, really. This this has been – North Korea has been saying – for years, it's on the road to developing nuclear weapons. And it's tried desperately to use this, it's, its possession of plutonium and then weapons, as a way to get bilateral talks with the United States to create a new relationship, they say, with the United States. Uh, two years ago, they brought in a... Set of a group of U.S. scientists, and they actually showed them, you know, that they had made plutonium. So we, we know they've been on the road toward weaponry, and they finally have done it. Uh, this makes North Korea the eighth nuclear power in the world, which is a, a major development, particularly in a part of the world, the only place where nuclear weapons have ever been dropped in war.
0: Is there any reason to believe that this actually might not have happened?
5: Well, yes, I think that for, like I said, the North Koreans have been demanding, jumping up and down, screaming they want bilateral talks with the United States. The Bush administration from the get-go of this, uh, of, of Bush's term has refused to talk with North Korea. At the beginning of the Bush administration, I think the idea was North Korea would kind of go away, would collapse of its own weight, uh, People might remember that when the former president of South Korea, Kim Dae-jung, the longtime dissident who became the South Korean president in the late 90s and opened up really the first economic and political relationship between South and North Korea that has ever existed since the Korean War, when Kim Dae-jung came to the White House soon after Bush was was sworn in, Bush... Publicly repudiated his policies, the so-called sunshine policies, said North Korea is not to be trusted. And from that moment on, relations, relations have deteriorated. Uh, shortly before, shortly after 9-11, uh, the North Koreans decided to, to scrap, uh, their, their earlier agreement with the United States and started, started proceeding on this road, uh, always saying they want to have discussions with the United States, bilateral talks. But this has been something that Bush has just simply refused to do.
0: The essential difference between how President Clinton has dealt with North Korea and President Bush has?
5: Well, the Clinton administration... Agreed to negotiate directly with the government. Uh, in, in 2000, the end of 2000, shortly before the change in administrations, former Secretary of State Madeleine Albright was in, it was in. Pyongyang, North Korea. She actually met with the, with the president of North Korea. At that time, the North Koreans and the United States had, had an agreement under which uh, North Korea would suspend its its nuclear program in return for economic uh, assistance and, and a better relationship with the United States. And when Albright was in Pyongyang on that visit, uh, there was discussions towards a treat, uh, toward an agreement that would stop North Korea's testing and manufacturing of missiles. And that's those negotiations were stopped cold when, when Bush came in. And he has consistently, his administration has refused to have any direct negotiations with the North Koreans. And all the countries that are part of these six-party talks, Russia, China, Japan, uh, particularly Russia and China and South Korea, of course, have been all the time saying, there must be direct talks, please have direct talks, this is the only way to resolve this, because the North sees the conflict, not with other countries, but directly with the United States, and they see their survival at stake, and they see North, you know, nuclear weapons as the only way to guarantee their survival.
0: It's very interesting that this should come at a time where the U.S. has upped the pressure on, well, not North Korea, but on Iran. So the place that doesn't have nuclear weapons, uh, they have been focusing the most attention on when all indications were this is the path that North Korea was on.
5: Yeah, it is, and I and I think that I mean all this time there's been, of course, planning and the background discussions, but the Bush administration has has been very deliberate about keeping this, you know, out of the headlines, de, de, sort of de-emphasizing what's been going on there, as, as because of the it's so trapped up in the Iraq and and then planning for whatever it's going to do in Iran, and I think that that's been a this is a serious mistake. This is this is the this shows the complete failure of Bush's policies in Northeast Asia.
0: Tim Shrop, let's talk about China and Japan. Uh, it was China that alerted the United States um, uh, once North Korea told China that it was about to test this nuclear bomb yesterday. Right.
5: Well, uh, you know the the, the, China, the U.S. has been counting on China It's a sort of, you know curtail whatever north korea is doing put the pressure on north korea north korea and china are very close allies during the korean war the chinese entered the war to prevent the united states from uh, from basically occupying and taking control of all of korea they pushed the united states back to the 38th parallel they lost millions of soldiers that bound that that relationship is very strong and remains very strong the chinese are of course concerned about the about this. What would happen if North Korea got nuclear weapons? That Japan might obtain them afterwards, and so on. But and they put out a very strong statement today, uh, critical of this test. However. Because of this relationship, and we have to remember that the same neocons who got us into Iraq and are pushing to get the United States involved in Iran, they see China as a strategic challenge, i.e., the real enemy. And there's been this intense game in Asia for the last five or ten years between the Chinese and the United States for influence. And you you sort of have China, uh, you know, not directly allied, but sort sort of in the same circles now. Now, economically and politically, surprisingly, with South Korea, with North Korea, even a lot of Southeast Asian ch- nations have developed close ties with China. And then on the other hand, you have the U.S. and Japan building up their militaries together in, 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 in ways that are trying to counter China. And so there was this whole dynamic of the Chinese also being concerned about challenges to them and seeing North Korea as, as an ally in this, in this fight. There's a very interesting piece that's been quoted widely today that was written by a, a, a scholar in China called Ding Li that lays out China's ties with North Korea and why a two-nuclear test will serve, would serve the interests of North Korea and it might actually serve the interests of China. This person argues that basically North Korea has force of the United States to put thousands of troops and missiles and and other forces in South Korea, in in the sort of northeast part of China, which means that they're not focusing so much force near Taiwan and that's good for China in the long run. So I think it's going to be very difficult to get China to actually, you know, reject everything with its relationship with North Korea and turn against them. So it's going to be it's going to be a, a, an interesting period over the next few days and weeks to see how this happens because I don't think you're really going to get China to make North Korea into into an enemy and allow they may go along with some kind of economic Sanctions, but beyond that, I really doubt that they would 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 uh, be in favor of using force or you know naval blockades and things like that.
0: Tim Shark, finally, and we just have 30 seconds. Uh, This happening the day before uh, what's happening today, the South Korean Foreign Minister, Ban Ki-moon, being uh, voted on uh, for his bid for the next Secretary General of the United Nations. That's happening today.
5: Well, let's remember the last time when they tested missiles was on July 4th, so they know the symbolic uh, timing of this. And it's also interesting that the Japanese Prime Minister Abe is in Seoul the same day. And, uh, you know, I I think Japan's role, here is also very critical. Abe's uh, predecessor, after all, had enraged China, enraged South Korea and many other countries by visiting the shrine where the Japanese war criminals are buried. And I think Japanese ties with China and the Koreas are very tenuous because of this. So th- this is not a good time to, to have a, a large U.S.-led alliance against North Korea. It's going to take some time, but I think the only thing that's going to stop this from becoming a full-blown crisis is for the United States to have direct talks with North Korea. Fine,
4: fine, smell black and white, who took apart a picture that wasn't right. Pitch burning on a shining sheet, the only maker that you want to meet. A dying man in a living room, whose shadow faces the throne.